I invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, for uh, one more Sunday uh, to the little letter of 1 John. We're looking at the very last verse and this uh, wonderful epistle we've been spending some time in. We've noticed throughout this epistle that that this is a, a letter to, well, it's a family letter, right? Uh, we've seen that term children throughout this, this letter. This is a letter written to the children of God, to the family of God, the household of faith. Uh, and in particular, we've seen uh, the apostle use a fatherly term of endearment here that we see again in this in this verse, little children, sometimes translated dear children, but literally it's little children. And of course, it's using that adjective little the way we do sometimes to express our affection for someone. And so yeah, I want you to, to hear this, this last word from uh, the apostle in this letter with that, with that in mind. That, that this, this is motivated by a fatherly affection for you as a child of God. So here's our, our text for this morning. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from idols. Now, I mentioned in in the newsletter that I sent out before the service that this seems a little bit of an odd ending. Uh, we haven't seen John talking about idols earlier in this letter, and and so it it almost it almost strikes us as unusual for him to to put this admonition right at the end, especially since the, the whole tone of the letter has been one of encouragement and assurance and, and to sort of give us this you know, direct command, this admonition, uh, sort of strikes us as unusual. But, but, I, but again, I want you to keep in mind that, that the apostle who's writing this has a fatherly affection for these people that he's writing to. Uh, and I'm sure he would have a fatherly affection for you if he were here. And in a very real sense, I think, we see in his fatherly affection the affection of our Heavenly Father for his people. And John thinks this is important. He loves these people. And so he thinks this is important. So I want you to receive it in that same way, that, that this is an important note that he's adding here. Uh, perhaps he's even put it here because, you know, we, we tend to remember the last thing somebody tells us or the, the last thing that we read. And so it's perhaps for that reason that he puts this admonition right here. He wants this to stick in your mind. When you recall this letter, he wants you to remember how he ended it, because he considers this very important. Keep yourself, guard yourself, we could translate this, guard yourselves from idols, he said. Now, of course, idols are a, a common feature of the ancient world. Uh, this is the time in which there are 
idols all over the place in the cities of Asia Minor where John is. Uh, idols in the form of physical representations of the gods, uh, statues and other kinds of uh, things that people uh, use as, as objects of worship. They incorporate them into their worship. And so we can see how this makes sense for them. Uh, many of them had practiced some of those, uh, worshiping some of those uh, in some of those temples, some of those idols. Uh, Paul mentions in in both his letters to letter to the Corinthian believers and the letter to the Thessalonian believers, he says, "In a, you were idol worshippers at one point, and you've been called into relationship with the true God." So we can see how it's relevant for them. How's it relevant for us? We don't have temples to the Greek gods, the Roman gods anymore. So, so what's an idol for us? That's the question I want you to ask yourself. What is an idol? idol for us? Well, let me suggest some answers to that that might help us apply this to our own lives. An idol, we, we could say an idol is what you look to first when you're in trouble. What you look to first in your trouble? What's your go-to? Something bad happens. You know, a, a pagan worshiper of an idol makes an offering. You know, as someone's sick in a family, a Somebody offers a bird to burn incense before a household god. Well, where do you look? The, the psalmist asked himself that question in Psalm 121. One of the songs used for the worshipers as they progress toward Jerusalem. Psalm 121, verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills, from whence comes my help. Now we read that and we think, oh, he's looking at the beautiful scenery around. And, you know, the way we would look at the beautiful hills of New Hampshire and be moved to think of our creator. But I don't think that's what he's got in mind. There's something going on on the hills of Judea. Well, it'd be Israel at this time. There's something going on. And that something is not good. Jeremiah speaks of it in his prophetic word, Jeremiah 2.20. He's speaking, and you're to hear this as if God is speaking to his people. The Lord says, For long ago I broke your yoke and burst your bonds. That's clearly a reference to their being freed from slavery in Egypt, right? I, I, I brought you freedom, and along with that I gave you freedom from the gods of Egypt, okay? But you said, I will not serve. The Lord is critiquing the rebellion of his people, and he goes on to say, yes, on every high hill and under every green tree, you bow down like a whore. The hilltops of Israel are places of pagan worship. And I think the psalmist is looking at the hills around him, and he's seeing the smoke arising from those altars. He's thinking about the, the disgusting practices that are going on in the worship of those fertility gods on those hilltops and under the green trees. And he's asking himself, 
Well, where's my help come from? Where am I looking? Jeremiah, in the next chapter, chapter 3 of Jeremiah, explicitly speaks to that false worship. Truly, the hills are a delusion, the orgies on the mountains. Truly, in the Lord our God is salvation, is the salvation of Israel. Where do you look for salvation? That's what the psalmist is asking. Whatever it is that I look to for salvation in time of need, that's who I'm viewing as God. Is it an idol? Well, what, what else, how else we might, uh, might we ask, answer that question, what is an idol? Well, one way to answer that would be to say, what matters most to you? What's important to you? What do you believe in? I was interested to have pointed out to me a website called uh, Religion of Sports. Actually, it's a corporation. So Religion of Sport Incorporated. Listen to what they say on the, uh, on the opening page of their website. We tell stories that make believers. <laughs> I thought, well, uh, you know, what are they believing? And so I searched around the website a little bit and found this quotation. Sports matter. Everything we create stems from that core belief. Because to feel the power of sports and to truly believe is to experience religion. And indeed, their website is filled with images of people worshiping Christians, Muslims, Jews. And interspersed with that are pictures of people, spectators of sport. And they're seeing a religion here. They're seeing a religion, religious experience. So in other words, they, they see sport as a human activity that possesses a power to be believed in. And in believing in that power, people have a religious experience. Now, they, I couldn't find anywhere on the website where they really define what they mean by power of sport. Uh, one might cynically conclude from looking at their website that the power of sport is the power to make money. <laughs> because the people that they feature on that, the sports figures that they feature, are people who have made an awful lot of money playing sport. And you almost wonder if, uh, if there's a little tongue-in-cheek going on here, and then in creating this website, they're, they're presenting it in the way they are, so they can make more money. <laughs> but what matters to you? What do you believe in? The Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 95. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of, or in addition to, the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. What do you believe in? What do you trust in? Well, that's, that's what you worship. Uh, perhaps uh, what you believe in, what you trust in, is, is your own ability to make a livelihood, your own ability to support yourself. What do you do when, when that fails you then? 
When your health fails you, Habakkuk adds, adds that question and answers it in uh, the ending of his little book, Habakkuk 3, beginning of verse 7, 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Do you see what he's saying there? He says, if our economy totally collapses. They're an agrarian culture. They depend on crops and they depend on animals. And he says, what happens if we lose it all? We have nothing. Well, that's where, that's where you find out what you believe in, right? And Habakkuk's answer is, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation, even when earthly resources fail. What's an idol? Maybe one way to answer that question would be to say, well, what do you serve? What, what, you, what do you spend your time on? What, what absorbs your attention? You know, addiction is a form of idolatry, isn't it? Uh, there's a desire somebody has. And they're in circumstances that, uh, that tempt them to satisfy that desire in an illicit way. Often it, the desire itself is good. You know, a desire for relief from pain, a desire for happiness, a desire for uh, whatever it might be. That There's nothing wrong with the desire, but the means of meeting that desire that they choose is illicit. And, and though it begins as a desire for something good, it quickly becomes being possessed, being a slave to that object that you first desired. That is, that is an idolatry, right? Maybe it's uh, not addiction, but maybe it's just flat-out money. Right? You know, having, the, having a bank account that you can rely upon. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, No one can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Money finances is a God in an affluent culture, isn't it? In fact, perhaps we could answer that question, what is an idol in terms of our consumer culture? It, it could be what you spend your money on. We have so much disposable income in our culture. What, what do we spend our money on? The world tells you that you are what you consume. That's the definition of a consumer society. You, you define yourself, you find your definition for yourself in what you consume. Uh, those things that you consume will make you happy, will make you satisfied. You see that reflected in the advertising all the time, of course. And since there's nothing that will bring a lasting satisfaction. You're on an endless treadmill. There's always a thirst for more. The next purchase will do it. The next experience, uh, the next whatever it may be that you consume will bring you that happiness. Isaiah says in chapter 55, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy you know, why 
Why do people consume that which does them no good ultimately, that which doesn't give self-satisfaction? What's an idol in this era of self-centered media? Maybe your image before other people. We've become very conscious of our image before other people with the advent of the internet and things like Facebook. And, and that can become an idol. That can, that can become a, a, a dictating force in our lives. Of course, that's not, that's not new. Uh, we, we've always seen the danger of peer pressure, right? I mean, peer pressure is just being concerned about your image before other people, right? And... Uh, that comes at every age. When I, I used to teach teenagers, adolescents, and I said, you know, everybody talks about peer pressure with people your age, but that's just because you're beginning to become aware of your image before other people. Don't fool yourself. I've seen adults, 60, 70 years old, just as much influenced by peer pressure as teenagers. Uh, we even see a biblical example of that in and none other than the Apostle Peter. Remember, he goes up to Antioch. You know, there's this new church up there, and Gentiles are being converted, and, and they're having these wonderful fellowship suppers together. And, and Peter goes up there, and he joins in the worship and the fellowship there that's going on between Gentiles and Jews. And, and then some of his buddies from Jerusalem come up, his Jewish buddies. And, and they, they start... They sort of look askance at him. You're not, you're not eating with these guys, are you? And he withdraws from the Gentile believers because of his image in front of these Jewish guys. Paul rebukes him. And to Peter's credit, he, he receives the rebuke, it appears, and, and repents. An idol can be, a, can be our image before other people. An idol can be something, well, it can even be a set of good rules, right? Good behavior can become an idol because, because there's the danger that we begin to think of it as a way to gain accept, the acceptance of God. That, that was the real problem for the Pharisees, wasn't it? That Jesus kept, kept confronting over and over again. They'd come up with a list of do's and don'ts. And they believed if they fulfilled that, they somehow gained God's acceptance. Uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in some ways, we, we could say it's almost the most dangerous kind of idolatry. Because we're remaking God in our image. We're saying this set of rules... This is what's important to God. I, I, I'm, I'm really, in effect, telling God what to judge by when I'm behaving legalistically. Uh, Charles Dickens, of all people, gives a, a vivid picture of that in his, one of his novels. He has this, this character who's, who's lived for 40 years in a spirit of vengeance for something wrong done against her. And she continually says, now I'm not doing this for myself. I'm an instrument of God. And her, her legalistic framework destroys her life, destroys her in the end. 
I, idols, idols come in all different shapes and sizes and varieties, don't they? In the end, in the end, human beings can make virtually anything an idol. And what do they all have in common? They all have in common that they're a way for us to gain independence from God. An idol is much more manageable than God is. An idol performs according to my rules. No wonder, no wonder John is saying to us, you better watch out for idolatry. It'll sneak up on you. Be on your guard. Keep yourself from idols. And let's be encouraged by the fact that he makes this a command because the very fact that he says, guard yourself against idols, keep yourself from idols, that implies he thinks we can do it. Right? He, he doesn't say, now idols are, are reality and you're just going to roll over and play dead. No, he says, be active, guard yourself. How do you do that? How do, we, how do you guard yourself, keep yourself from idols? How do you, how do you to use a biblical example, how do, you, how do you follow the example of Gideon? Okay, For the kids' papers today, I, I, I used a picture of Gideon tearing down the idols in his neighborhood and rebuilding the altar of God. That's what we want to do. We want to be idol destroyers, and to erect on the ruins of those idols altars of worship to God. Well, how can we do that? I think really, in a sense, John's been showing us all the way through this letter. How do you stand against idols? How do you guard yourself against idols? Well, remember how he started out this letter. He reminded us of the proclamation of the gospel. You, you need to replace the negative with something positive. And so he reminded us that the gospel has been proclaimed to you. And that gospel has called you into fellowship with God and with one another. Value that. That is a guard against idolatry for you to remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself that through confession as he tells us in the opening part of John, through confession and repentance, you receive forgiveness. Okay, they, even for idolatry, right? Even for those times when you've let something else have, have center place in your life. If you confess your sins, if you don't deny, like he, he pictures somebody denying that, they're, they, that they've sinned in the beginning of the letter, and he says, don't do that. Now, be those who confess your sins, even to one another, and find that forgiveness that is extended to you, bought at such a, such a price by Jesus Christ himself. Another defense, another guard against idols that he reminds us of is, is putting a priority and walking in the light of obedience to God. Remember, he uses that image of walking in the light, and he says, if you obey God, you're walking in the light. If you, if you obey God. God, you're guarding yourself against idols. The strengthening power of God's word enables you to overcome the evil one and to resist idols. Remember that, that beautiful admonition that he, he gave in, in verse 14 of chapter 2. I write to you, young men. 
I write to you, young people, because you're strong. What is it that made you strong? The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. The word of God enables you to guard yourself against idols. Keep yourself in the truth of, of God's word. He goes on to say that knowing that truth will enable you to discern false teaching as well. And, and guard against the idol worship that false teaching could lead you into. And he and reminds us of the Spirit's work in us as well in this letter, doesn't he? He, he says the Spirit creates in you a love for God and for one another. That, that's a wonderful guard against idolatry. And, and that leads us to, to realize, really, in this question of idolatry, it all boils down to what do you love, right? Who do you love? And, and we could even say it, who loves you? Who loves you? Because in this, in this command, guard, keep yourself from idols, there's the implication that there's something to be guarded. That you are of value to God. That, that you have been purchased by the incalculable price of Jesus death itself. You are precious. God loves you. Don't, don't scorn his love by turning to idols. But, it, but perhaps an even stronger assurance and confidence that you can have as you fight idols, as you guard yourself against idols, as you seek to tear down those idols in your life, is to remember that as you're seeking to guard yourself, there's one who's guarding you. There's one who's keeping you. That's where the psalmist goes in Psalm 121. After answer, asking that question, from where does my help come, he answers it. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. That may be a reference, by the way, to false gods that are worshipped. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. In the end, you guard yourself, you keep yourself from idols by placing your faith and confidence in God who keeps you. You believe that he will keep you and enable you to be faithful to him. And we have a wonderful reminder to us of God's care and keeping in this sacrament that we're about to observe, isn't it? The Lord's Supper reminds us that, that God himself came in human form, took upon that human form in order to make atonement for our sins, to be made sin for us, 
and so that he could live a righteous life which would then be credited to us. So as we come to this table, let's, let's think about the one who is keeping us and seek to be obedient to his word by keeping ourselves from idols. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, how grateful we are that you did not leave us in the darkness of idolatry. And indeed, all those who don't know you, Savior and Lord, are are caught up in idolatry. They're slaves to their own self-will. So we thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes to see that truth, for, for moving our hearts to repent of our sins and to place our trust and confidence in you. Help us to do that anew, even this day, and to resolve to, to guard ourselves against idols for the sake of your glory as well as for the good of your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.